0: Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Special Edition. We're coming back to you with part two of Chronicling the Road to Relaunch for Gothic Doctor. Doug is with me again. And we are going to be, if you remember, part one last month was us talking about even with a solid and a well-received game, uh, when some of us finally were able to get a hold of it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a good game has issues as well and fights for its spot within the Kickstarter realm. So we are looking at, you know, the fact that Gothic Doctor was unsuccessful the first time around, some of the lessons that Doug and John grabbed from Melbourne meltdown games we discussed those last time what he felt kind of went wrong with the project what they could have done a little bit different so what we are doing this time in part two is we're going to start looking at some of the actionable items that john and doug took away from the first kickstarter and are now applying for when they launch this summer for gothic doctor so doug yes sir go ahead and uh take over sir and let us know uh how you want to run this ship today
1: Absolutely. So I guess I'll just start with the the thing you mentioned there. You had mentioned that, you know, it was well-received when it was finally received. <laughs> yes. That's an actionable item that we haven't put into place yet, but actually starting to get to a place where we can. Very exciting. Art has just finished the art for the base set of the game. So we're going to get some copies printed off and get those out to reviewers starting, we hope, soon. We're thinking certainly by April, have those in the mail. And ready to get out to people like yourself and other folks who might be interested in taking a look at it, giving us feedback on it, doing a review of it, that sort of thing.
0: Yep, And then just for comparison's sake, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit last time, but like for us, for all us geeks, we ended up getting it and scrambling to try to get you a review a little more than I think the, about the halfway point or beyond of the project last time. So this time yeah. we're talking about, again, you're talking about launching this summer, getting it in the hands of reviewers by April-ish, right. definitely quite a bit different than last time.
1: Yeah. Two to three months rather than negative two weeks. So, (laughs) Because so many people, anybody who's been on Kickstarter and has backed more than two projects or just has amazing luck, knows that feeling of getting that game that didn't have the reviews. But you said, oh, the theme is so cool. Oh, that looks so good. Oh, they believe in it so much. And then it's just not what you were hoping for and you know reviewers i think are important in that sense because they're the people who will tell you yeah this is you know what you're looking for this is what it promises to be that delivers in these ways and having that on the site to tell people yeah this is this is for real they actually have a game it's not going to be a year before they even start sending it off to printers they have their their thing completed here and it's good That's really super critical for, for projects. And with some of the Kickstarter groups on Facebook, I've been involved with lately. A lot of it comes back to, you know, people asking for feedback on their site. I would say 50% of the time I've given people feedback. It's been about not having reviews on it. And so I think making sure that that's all set, ready to go. The moment you hit that launch button, I think is. Very critical, and definitely one of the things we're working on in the second.
0: Yeah, and that's one piece of the formula or the process that we've kind of talked about off and on. And uh, I I know if you go back and kind of listen to all of the various game of crowdfunding interviews you can kind of piece together that that formula or process that i i kind of have in my head and i know doug you've asked me at one point like uh can, do you have this on paper can you just s- send me the, par- <laughs> the formula and uh <laughs> right. I, I keep meaning to do that but usually in conversation we get through it i do think especially for Unknowns, right? For, for independent designers coming in, even if this is, you know, it takes a while to build up that trust and that relationship with backers. So there are some people that can potentially put a game out now that may not need as many reviews. But there are two things. If you diverge wildly from games that you've put out in the past, people are going to go, well, I know you, but I don't understand this type of game. Or there's the, I don't know you, I don't know your game, who else can vouch for you kind of thing. And it it is definitely one piece that I think can be fairly important at times, and that's not just coming from, I can look at your game, that's coming from, you need somebody it doesn't even necessarily have to be me, and I've said that several times. In fact, I think I told you that a couple times, Doug. <laughs> it's like you don't have to send it to me necessarily, but get a couple people, get X, you know. Here we we go through a, a small list of names. Uh, pick one or two off of this list. To at least make sure that they're part of your project.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, somebody like uh, like you know, Grano Games could put out something, and people would know, given his great track record, that that's going to be solid. But you know, plus as fast
0: you- as he. Comes up and puts out games, sometimes it's hard for us to get a hold of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. The man is a machine. I've said it before and I will continue to say it.
1: Yeah, it's really remarkable. <laughs> but that actually dovetails nicely into uh, another thing that we're hoping to put into action this time around getting people to give you feedback on your project before you put it out there. I don't think when we before we launched last time, there was the option on Kickstarter to send people the preview link to take a look at. But, you know, the the hubris of youth, you know, we would have probably gone in the same way anyway. My wife's a, a librarian and she said, you know, three weeks before we hit the launch button, she said, I found this book in the library about what you need to do for Kickstarter. Do you want to read it? And I said, I mean, bring it home, but we got this. <laughs> <laughs> and looking it over later on, there was definitely stuff that you know, we, we could have done better at the time. And just listening carefully and critically to what people have to say about the project, about, and the project in terms of both the page and the the, the game, I think is really vital. You know, more playtesting, more feedback on on everything. The more feedback you can get, the better. You could take it, you could leave it, but then if you don't think something's a problem, but you have 10 people saying, this is a real issue for me. On our first project, we had a video, and you know, I was, I was happy with it. And, you know, John is a video editor by trade. So of course it was, you know, solid, but a lot of people on those Facebook groups are saying, you know, well, I don't know how important a video is. I'm not, I'm just thinking of not doing. That. And I think if John hadn't been a video editor first time around, I might have been content to just say, Oh, okay, fine. We're not going to drop the, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, whatever it would be to get a really quality video done because I don't watch the videos. You know, they don't. They usually don't catch me. The only times I've really watched them is when we were studying up for ours. But getting as much feedback as you can, which is something very much doing this time around, to make sure that the stuff that is an issue for us is also an issue for other people or vice versa. The stuff that, you know, we say, eh, it's fine. You know, other people are also saying, yeah, 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 that's fine. Or saying, no, this is really a problem. Got to do X, Y, Z. Even if that doesn't matter to you as a backer, it matters to backers as
0: Right. And I think one of the things that we've kind of seen on some of those conversations, because I know the most recent conversation you're talking about on that group, because we've both been involved in it, sure. is that uh, one one of the, I don't remember who said it, but I think really one of the better ways to look at the video aspect of what we're talking about. And that was, what does it hurt you for the people that say they don't look at the video to have that video there, but then for all of the people that say, that's the first thing I check, it's there. So, I mean, backers are all different as well. And even in there, even in that group, dealing with a bunch of people that one, look at projects all day from a critical aspect, because that's what we're all asking them to do, right? I mean, that's part of what that group is for now is just, Hey, critically look at my project and tell me what I need to hopefully, you know, have a chance to be successful here. Yeah. But we all do it even in that group differently and we've right. seen that in that entire thing it was like no i do this i do this uh if you're word, if you, if if you're visually attractive uh throughout the page then i go back and look at the video or you know like i said you've got 30 seconds to pull me in with your video and then i'll start looking through the rest of the page i mean there's all, all these different things and i think i can't again i can't remember who said it but that person summed it up really well in the fact that you know these five people above me that don't look at videos is it going to hurt that your video is there? No, they're going to scroll past it. The five people right. below me that say that it's critical, those are the people you're going to lose if the video is not there. Right. And the other thing that I think you said, and we've kind of tried to hammer home off and on in different interviews too, is you're getting feedback, but it's filtered. You definitely have to filter the feedback. And one of the things you said, and I completely agree with is, you know, if you've got 10 people telling you something, Hey, this doesn't look quite right. You Probably need to look at that. I mean, and end of the day, it's, it's your project and you need to be comfortable with what you put out. But if you've got 10 people, that's a critical piece maybe to, to take a look at. And that's where the, the weighing of comments and the filtering and, and, you know, the putting them all together and saying, okay, well, you know, we had one person out of 50 say this. Okay. Maybe we're good there, but now we've got, you know, 10 people out of 20. We've got, this is a, a 50-50 on this piece. Let's look at it and see what we can maybe take a look at. And if there's something there that we need to To address.
1: Yeah. And along those lines, I was thinking about a couple weeks back, there was the conversation about should your different levels have clever names or should they just be unnamed? Here it is. And that, I think, was one of those cases where the the community was pretty evenly split. Some people said, oh, God, I hate those. They make me roll my eyes. And I'm like, oh, just tell me what's in there. I don't need to know, you know, some clever title for it. And some people said, no, I love them. I think they're really fun and, you know, they're a good descriptive way. And some people said, eh. And, you know, something like that where you get 35, 35, 30 in terms of feedback percentages, then, yeah, then that's that's your call. But knowing that, yes, you've done the research and you've you've seen, OK, people are split on this. I'm going to go with what feels right for me. You know, like we use titles for our for our levels before. We're probably going to do it again because we think they're fun. It's a nice descriptive way to talk about them, even just internally and to know that people for the most part, seem at at least okay with it off, but that's good. That's important to know.
0: Yeah. And that's one of those things that to me, it's just as long as I can read the level and know what I'm getting, Yeah, the title is the title. I'm fine with it. As long as by the time I've got done reading the pledge, I understand what I'm getting. Cause there are some very confusing pledge. Some people put way too much effort into it. And I think they think themselves out of actually, uh, or out clever themselves into backer confusion. Uh, And that's where you start seeing in the comments, okay, I'm still confused. What do I actually get here?
1: Right. At this level, you get the T-shirt, but not the pen holder. And at the next level, you get two pen holders and a T-shirt if you want one. But then you can also get us to plant a tree for you in the Amazon. (laughs) But no T-shirt if you get the tree because, right, it's...
0: And then one other thing while we're on uh, this topic, you kind of brought it up. Sure. I think this is where Kickstarter has done a really decent job of adding options. You talked about the use of the preview link. Yeah. Now there was a time when people would use the preview link for maybe two seconds you know they would be like i'm sending this to you but look at it within the next two hours because i'm shutting it down and that you please
1: tell me this is great because this is going live now right
0: or even even if it wasn't going live soon it was just like i i'm not sharing this with anybody except you right and i need your feedback but i'm shutting it down and Back in that time, though, was also when, and there's some, I can understand it. To me, it's always been share the preview link uh, as much as you can and get the feedback for various reasons. But it used to be twofold. One, they didn't have the uh, notify me on launch option, which they have now, which is very nice. So then you're kind of sh- not only sharing your project and getting feedback and getting valuable feedback way before you launch, but you're also giving people the option to, hey, uh, this is really cool. I want to know about it the, the moment it fires off, the moment it goes live. So that was a nice ad. The other nice ad was it used to be if you shared the preview link, And once it went live, the preview link kind of was dead. (coughs) Now what they've done is the preview link, if somebody still has the preview link and you've shared that out all over the place, once it goes live, it redirects to the live project. So those were two very good things I think Kickstarter has done to help facilitate the use of sharing projects before they actually go live for the, the project creator. So it has been a nice transition from... Before, you didn't really know about anything other than, than word of mouth. People would say, Hey, I'm going to do a Kickstarter if they even went that far. Back in the early days, again, the, the wild west days, it was pretty much, uh, you know, the, there were, there were less of us using Kickstarter, but there were also less projects to look through on Kickstarter right. to now where there's a ton of people using Kickstarter and there's a ton of projects to look at. I think the transition has gone very nicely from I'm going to tell you I'm going to do this, I'm going to briefly share with you what I'm looking at doing, to now I encourage everybody. I I know somebody that I'm working with right now that's launching in March. I think he's trying to launch in March. And I'm like, why am I not already seeing your preview? (laughs) Uh, uh, And so he's working on getting the preview involved. And I was like, let's get that out there as soon as possible. And to, you know, uh, there are other, there are a lot of projects that are a lot of people People that I've worked with or have talked to or that we've done stuff with where they have their projects now out open and publicly open for two to three months easily before the project's actually going to launch. That's not a bad way to do it at all, to get all that feedback, to give some empowerment to your potential backers and to have that. You know, notify me on launch so people can potentially know the second you go live, even, I mean, obviously you're going to promote your project going live, but the second that you go live, Kickstarter is letting them know.
1: Yeah, and I was going to comment on that too, that that idea of the community aspect of where these are folks who are taking a risk on your project, who have seen what you've put out there so far, who believe enough in, in what you're doing. If John and I can do something better for our back person, then we want to do that. It's our project, but it's also product and i don't mean that you know in the sort of like dirty huckster (laughs) step right up kind of way but it is something where we're you know we're marketing and that's not so much for me the fun part but that's a really vital part and i want to know from people who are fans of this what is it that we can then put into place to make them happier with what we're doing you know the communication Mm -hmm. and stuff and it's to me the the preview link is just an extension of keeping people involved And having, you know, that really strong communication throughout the project. I've been watching David, I think his last name's Chot on a Lagoon, which is just Mm -hmm. this great looking project that I had a chance to play on, on his next table over. And, you know, awesome guy, awesome, awesome game, beautiful artwork. But he has, I think he said on Twitter, personally responded to everyone who's messaged him about the game throughout this time. I I assume he hasn't been sleeping. (laughs) So I guess he got that superpower I want, but you know, that's the way to do it. it. this is all about the whole Kickstarter philosophy, which I don't really think has changed over the course of, you know, all this booming growth there, is this idea of making sure that it feels like a community, it feels like a group of people working together to make these projects happen rather than just me coming on, selling you a product, you get the product, now go away. It's the bunch of us working together as a group to make these things happen. And I think the preview link really does a nice job of, of extending that into even before you hit that launch button.
0: I like the aspect of, you know, you can't really think of Kickstarter as you know, we've talked about it before. One, you can't think of it as this is my marketing. Right. That just can't be. But not only that, I, I like kind of what you're talking about in the aspect of Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform. And right. What is crowdfunding? Well, I mean, you know, you're, you're a crowd of people, right? You're, you're asking total strangers at the time, potentially, to, uh, you know, help me out with this, with something that I really believe in. And what is one of the best ways to do that? Well, you can take that crowd, right? And I, I almost think you should think of it more as community funding. Right. Because really what you're trying to do is you're not only trying to, uh, say, Hey, this is a project. This is a, this is a product that I really believe in and I want to see come to the market but you're also trying to say hey come with me on this journey come with me and help me make this happen and you're trying to get people to not only believe in your product but believe in you to be able to produce that product and right. one of the best ways to do that is really get into it from a community aspect and you know that's that's been I don't want to say buzzword but obviously that's something that I've talked about off and on and i firmly believe in even from just the main podcast i podcast for the community aspect of things and and what i'm able to bring to the community and i think successful kickstarters especially from the independent side you know we talked about gray gnome games earlier and joked about, about that but jason has done a really good job of not only communicating everything he's ever done communicating how things are going along but just Bringing people in and along for the ride. And that's that thing. It's like, come on into my community and let's, let's have a conversation about this. And that's what we're kind of ho- hoping and looking for out of Gothic Doctor uh, as well, right? We're like, come on into the conversation. Let's talk about right. Gothic Doctor. Hey, help us, help us make this happen. Uh, what's your feedback? What's going on? Here's what we've got going on. Here's, here's the new artwork, all that kind of stuff. And having those conversations build around the product that at the end of the day, you're not really going hey buy this from me you're like hey we, here, here's our here's our project we look we've made it kind of thing
1: yeah and i mean that's why i i really i know i'm sort of far on the end of the kickstarter spectrum here but uh you know I'm, I'm a very firm believer in asking for as much as you need and anything you make over that funneling that back into making a project as good as it can possibly be
0: you know like
1: what they're doing with uh draco magi we were talking about there aren't going to be Kickstarter exclusives. There aren't going to be, we're not going to do a lot of those things that have become pretty commonplace there. We're going to be putting out, we're going to be giving you a really phenomenal deal on this game. And then we're going to make the game better if we get enough support. Right now, that's kind of the angle that that we're thinking about taking Gothic Doctor, where it's not, you know, it's not that we well, can get all these 12 exclusive cards that are never going to be offered anywhere else. But then six months later, oh my gosh, suddenly they're being offered everywhere else. Who would have thought where it's something where we're saying, okay, yeah, you guys can help us make this even cooler and even better, you know, better quality opponents, more, more content, all that sort of thing.
0: I can tell you just to kind of, kind of springboard off of that a little bit. I can tell you that Robert was extremely, extremely nervous about offering draco magi the way he is and uh even after our interview him i and richard had at least a half hour conversation afterwards still talking about that particular aspect of the project and and how it was going to go and i gotta say i'm happy to see it the fact that everybody did respond to it so well that everybody i mean i i don't think it was as big a deal as as robert was kind of thinking but it was a very nervous entry for him to say i'm not going to do exclusives i'm just really need you to back us i will give you the discount but i really need you to back us to make this happen right and so it it almost took it back to bare bones grassroots of what kickstarter is kind of there for this game's not going to happen unless you guys help us out and the game is beautiful the way it is i i you know i i've you might have kind of heard me one of my questions now and that i've started asking is is kickstarter changing the way you're designing because right. everybody expects stretch goals and everybody's expecting these extras. And if you've already produced a game, you, you kind of are getting into this weird. Am I giving you half a game and hoping I get to a whole game? Right. Uh, and I, I think that's a really slippery slope kind of area to get into. And Kickstarter right. is kind of changing that a little bit i mean it it is making people i've talked to people and they're like yeah you kind of have to think about you know i know i'm going on kickstarter so uh, what am i going to do here i need i need to have stretch goals people aren't going to do anything with me if i don't have stretch goals you know that kind of thing and so it's it's changing the uh landscape a bit of designing a game
1: yeah and i think it sort of varies game by game you know something like like lagoon we're talking about that that i think is a really good example of a game that's I don't get the sense that it's been designed in order to have a ton of stretch goals and, you know, a bunch of stuff that he can just, oh, here's another tile. Here's another tile. Here's another tile. Here's another tile. You know, people have been really clamoring for getting those bonus tiles in there. And he's been personally, I think rightly so, sort of hesitant to just start throwing everything in there. He's mainly focusing on the component upgrades part of it because this is the game I like, really in the sense that Lagoon as it stands right now is the game he wants to have and it's as it stands now, it's great. So I think though game by game things could be different. You know, for for something like Gothic Doctor, well if you can swap out you know, if people have the option of swapping out some patients, that's cool. One of my favorite games from last year is I think it came out two years ago, but still. I got it last year, uh, Legendary, where what's so cool about that is you never play the same game twice. I've played it probably 20 times at this point because it's one of the few games I can convince my wife to play with me all the time. You know, that's so great because are we fighting Mephisto or are we fighting Magneto or Loki or whoever? And that's one of those ones where nothing is harmed in the game by having more to go along with it. And to me, I think Gothic Doctor falls somewhere in the middle there. That it it isn't a, okay, well, kind of start from scratch-ish kind of game like Legendary is. But if you wanted to play with, you know, certainly some of the stretch goals are going to be additional patients, but not to be in there all the time. Because the, you know, if you throw in, you know, if there are 12 Legendary patients in there and you suddenly throw in 20 of them, those are much harder to treat. That's going to slow the game down. And so knowing that one of the things we spent this extra year really working on is getting the game to be tighter, to be faster paced and be listening to some of the feedback people give us about, yeah, it was good, but there were turns when I couldn't treat and those were frustrating, trying to work on how, okay, how can we make that not the case? And with some of the revisions we've done, that's now the case, adding too much stuff in as part of the, okay, every time you play, here's what we play with kind of game, that would be, I think, going away. way. So to me, the, the question of designing with stretch goals in mind is more of, no, you design the game and then you say, okay. What's the best way for stretch goals to fit in? And so we've been, you know, really since we're moving out of the now that the art's done. Now we're moving into the phase of okay, now we got to start thinking about we're going to, you know, be asking our artists to do more art. What do we need? And that's and now it's getting that we're starting to think really carefully. How can we have stretch goals? How can we have some stuff that people really feel like it's cool and they want to they want to get that stuff without diluting the game at all? Because that's That's number one for us, top priority, the quality of of the game we're done.
0: There's a couple of things I want to touch base on here, but one, it's nice. Again, we're talking about you guys are looking at relaunching this summer and you're having that conversation now. Mm-hmm. You're having that conversation about what your stretch goals are potentially going to be, how they affect the game and the fact that you are going to be asking for more art and knowing that up front, because I think uh, I think somebody just shot me an email here recently that said, hey, I, I got another lesson that I just learned. Make sure that you know what it's going to cost to manufacture or not cost as far as money and time to right. deliver those stretch goals, because now I'm trying to deliver stretch goals that I promised and I didn't have them, you know, up front necessarily. So, you know, they, they added to manufacturing time and they added, you know, that all those little things that some people may not think about. It's like, oh, you know, and and if you haven't thought of them well in advance, and I think you kind of, touched on this last time we talked as well if you're suddenly like completely out of stretch goals and everybody's yelling at you for stretch goals trying to think of something on the spot is going to do something to you it's going you're, you're you don't have it already planned out you don't have it factored into your manufacturing time and all that stuff and of course you definitely need to know uh is this going to do anything to my cost I mean, you right. got you got to know that well up, up front, even even if you're well ahead of yourself and successful. It doesn't take much depending on how many what you're adding to a game and how many you have to print. Then you also have to look at, OK, is that adding anything to the cost of shipping and all of all? There's a little snowball effect that can potentially happen if you haven't thought of it ahead of time. Right. Then the other thing I kind of wanted to touch base on real quick is I'm not against stretch goals. I'm not against things that get added to the game. In fact, I love them, uh, if they're well thought out and work for the game. But what I am kind of against, and I've, I've said this once or twice before, but I, I've recently just saw it and, and Doug, you might have, I don't know if you've been part of this conversation. There is somebody that was looking at canceling their project and they are only, five, six days in something like that. It was a short amount of time. They still had almost the entire month left and they were almost at their amount that they wanted, but they weren't at their first stretch goal. And they made the comment. We don't feel it's worth it until we hit the stretch goal. And then my comment back was, why wasn't that what you were looking for for funding then? So things like that, that bothers me. I don't like, I really dislike the idea of lowballing what you need and hoping you stretch into what you actually thought you could produce or what you want to produce. You know, there's a difference between saying, I know I can put in five, 10,000 of my own money, so I'll lowball that way versus if I don't hit five, 10,000 above what I'm looking for, I don't know if I can produce this game.
1: Yeah. And when we relaunch, you know, our first funding goal was 18,000, which for one of the things Jason is, I've heard that he's given advice to people about again and again and again is start out with a small project. Um, So that, that was definitely something we weren't doing last time, but yeah, this time around we're going to be coming back with a with a, a much lower asking price, which has a lot to do with talking carefully with with our manufacturer, who's been just super great, and making sure that we figured out what the best way to get a value for this is. And you know, there's uh, okay, well, if we print a smaller number, sure, per cost goes up, but then it can still happen at the quality we want, as opposed to you know saying okay, well, if we can't print 1,500, we're not printing. This time around, we're at a, okay, well, we have to print 500. And having the year to really think about this and, and think about it and talk it over with our significant others and say, you know, yeah, this is something that is important to us and we want to be ready to put some of our money into it, if need be, that's going to allow us to have more modest funding goal without sacrificing anything for the backers. They'll still get actually a better version, I think, of the game than they would have gotten last time. It is fewer cards, but by having fewer cards, I could totally geek out about probability. I'll try not to. (laughs) You know, Having fewer treatments in the deck and having fewer patients actually makes it more likely that you'll be better able to treat because probability, blah, blah, I'll cut off the rant before it really starts. (laughs) And so between us realizing that that was the way to go with it, and it's not, it's not an astronomical number. It's probably 20, just 20 fewer cards. Just that small change of having, instead of, you know, we cut out some action cards that were overpowered We cut out, we're going to have five treatments in, of each treatment in the deck instead of six. That makes the game better, but it also, you know, the, the side effect is that it helped the lower cost, which is cool. You know, it's just sort of a win-win in the case of keeping the focus on the quality of me. And while I'm on the topic of tightening up design, that's another thing that we're really going to be pushing now that we have this done, making sure that we've gotten it play tested by as many different people as many times with as many little small variants as possible. You know, we're we're turning over some design ideas that we think without adding components in most cases, or with adding very, very few components could really make this something play it different ways with the same set and appeal to different people. And you know, one of the things I like about the game as it is, is it has that feeling of, you know, one of the design ideas that we were working with when they had this was rummy, you know, that, that idea of the set collection and different things can work in different sets, but rummy has a lot of luck built in. And for me as a gamer, I tend to be okay with luck in the cards. For some reason, I'm less forgiving dice, but I don't know why. But, you know, for a lot of gamers, they want to be able to say, no, I I want this to be all strategy. And so thinking about, ways to to work on that and to make game played with the same cards that could be more strategic and we have a couple good ideas but we've got a you know we've got to get play tested and so we're not ready to make any you know huge big play testing announcements yet but uh we have a couple ideas that we really like and we just need to make sure we can you know make those happen next time i'll i'll be able to give you details on that so
0: okay and then i think uh we're kind of hoping Maybe next time. I mean, it 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 all boils down to when it actually happens. But one of the big things we kind of pointed out on um, the last time we talked was the shipping aspect, especially international shipping, and making oh, sure yeah. you understand that ahead of time. And I know, uh, Doug from our conversations, that's something that you're still actively pursuing and looking okay. into. And I know we had a couple conversations about, uh, you know, a handful of options. Uh, and I know you're still looking into that. So we're not at a point right now where we can really discuss your solution. Solution for the international shipping idea, other than the fact that it is something that you are actually looking into, actually researching. It's not something that you're going to go into the Kickstarter and say, "Hey, we'll figure this out after we see how many international shippers we have or backers we have." Right.
1: Oh, there were seven. <laughs> well, we'll eat that cost. Oh, there were four hundred. Oh,
0: yeah. And- well
1: looks like it's poverty prison for me. So, yeah.
0: From my perspective, too, just so I don't know if everybody understands, especially if you haven't gone through the Kickstarter process or you're not shipping stuff on a regular basis or whatnot. Our most recent contest that we finished off, one of our winners was in Singapore. (laughs) I just spent 40 some dollars to ship one package that was a pound just a pound to Singapore to make sure this person got their prize. And so that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. I mean, that's, that was me one time, one shot doing it. And there may have been some less expensive ways to probably get around it. I, I did get a little bit of a discount to do it. And so I was sitting at $40 with a discount. And obviously I'm not bulking it either. So I might get, you know, you might get some bulk save, but those are the kind of things we're talking about. You don't want to go in and go, Oh crap, 40 bucks. And now I've got, you know, 10, 20, 40 backers that that's going to potentially happen with, you want to know that up front and you want to mitigate that as much as possible up front because one of the very first things that you're going to hear, uh, no matter what, is, well, the game costs this and my shipping costs this. I can't justify that. And there's only so much you can do. But if you can do your homework up front and offer it as inexpensively as possible while not costing you to send games, you know, that's a plus for your project overall.
1: Yeah. And like you said, we're still researching this. But for people who may need the information sooner, ship naked by a which has just such a delightful <laughs> by game salute is looking Like a real strong contender for uh, for being able to handle this sort of thing, especially because, uh, and, you know, like you pointed out, I'm still looking into this. So if I get any information wrong here, it's because I'm in the early stages of this. The issue of of customs fees for international backers has been something that has been a serious problem. And there was uh, for our first project there, or first run through of the project. There was one place for international backers that was looking like it would be much less expensive, but then John talked to a friend of his who had a friend of his, so a friend of a friend who had something shipped to him in Canada, and when it arrived, he couldn't get it unless he dropped thirty bucks on the on the tariff fee or whatever it was exact. And so that you know just immediately for us was a no. I mean, we're not. This isn't a okay. Well, yeah, tack on twenty dollars for shipping, and then. They're going to tell you thirty more dollars, but you know whose problem that is? Not ours. That is ours. That's that's hidden fees, and those are those are just bad. But from what I've read about Ship Naked, they're able to ship things over in bulk and uh, offset the fees that way, and then ship them from within the I think from the UK, which is within the EU, in order to make those projects EU friendly. So we're definitely shooting to have a very EU friendly project this time, since you know the game takes place in London. got <laughs> Yeah. We've got
0: to install that looking at the ship naked stuff from game salute is uh is one viable option that's one that I know you and I had talked about a little bit too <laughs> I think uh from what I understand too and of course you're gonna do way more research on this than I will <laughs> <laughs> i I know I know enough to be dangerous I guess and to point you in the direction. <laughs> but the fact that it it may not cost you per se that much less because you do have to ship a pallet or however many you need to over to right. the UK but where where the nice savings is is you potentially one they they can do it fairly inexpensively out of their warehouse in general but yeah you save the like the vat tax and stuff for your backer so your backer knowing that they potentially don't have to spend the vat tax and uh they can get uh, the end result shipping, maybe a little bit cheaper, mm-hmm. has it more, like you said, EU friendly to the point where, well, now this is something that I can put some money down on and you can potentially have more than EU or UK backers and, and whatnot. So yeah. you can potentially get more backers because of that, even though, uh, there might on your end, as, as the project creator, that might not be less expensive to do the overall shipping because you are kind of drop shipping that pallet or whatever over there. Right. But having more people put in for the project and put in for the cost is definitely outweighs that when they don't have to worry about the VAT tax and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, one of the other things, and I don't know how much we touched on this last time, but especially with John coming from a, from a you know, video editing perspective and sort of the visual part of things with not having that clear plan going in of what, was going to happen, you know, each week and what our stretch goals were doing and all that stuff. By the end, we were sort of just trying to get stuff up there and not have it necessarily be visually consistent. This time around, one of the things we're changing is we hired a, a graphic designer who's going to help us out a little bit here and there to kind of give us a final round of pre-public feedback about the consistency of our layout and consistency of, of that to make it project visually appealing. And that that isn't necessarily something that's going to show in product, except for the fact that he did do six new icons for us, uh, which we're really happy with. And I know uh, you and Jordan will be happy that the realignment <laughs> of the humor's icon is no longer getting lost on the, on the werewolf card. But um
0: yeah, I remember. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's actually one of those things. Feedback wise, this is a total digression here, but that's one of those things where we didn't really listen to that feedback until we heard it three or four times. And then we still didn't listen to it. And one time I was playing, and missed it myself i'm saying wait i know they're oh oh my god they were right um, <laughs> and so you know we could have saved ourselves a lot of trouble if we said one of the things about feedback is assume the person who's giving you the feedback is right think about it and then if you are really absolutely 100 percent sure they're not then okay that's one but given the benefit of the doubt assume yes this person is correct that that sort of but i digress so more sort of graphic design consistency across the uh, the page, just to have it be, you know, since it, it is a marketing uh, in some ways, you know, it isn't your marketing, but it is. If we can put together a visually appealing Kickstarter, well, I mean that shows that we've got our stuff together more right. so than here's uh, something we did in you know word art because we wanted to get this up here real quick. I think our biggest offender last time was the the table of stuff that you get, you know that you get at each level. And that wasn't consistent as consistent as we wanted it to be with the, uh, the overall feel of the page and making sure that, you know, it all feels cohesive. It feels coherent is a small thing, but I think it's a big thing, especially when people are going to be buying a product
0: where graphic design is so very important. I agree with you. I think it's, it's kind of becoming, it actually is kind of in that process slash formula thing again, where the days of just a wall of text. I mean, you don't necessarily have to go out and spend a ton on the graphic side of it. But even right. if you can just break up the text and be consistent about it, like you said, and I think a huge draw is uh, to a lot of backers visually show me what the pledge levels are. I think right. that's I think that's become huge. I, and again, we talk about going through and if I can read the pledge level and understand what it is, if I can't read the, if I, if I have any question coming out, it's nice to see that visual representation uh on your, on your page as well. But just little things, even just a graphic for, I mean, it, it's, it could be the, the words, here's a header for, you know, reviews, <clears throat> but having that visually set off a little bit other than just saying uh, or typing the word review and bolding it <laughs> and then <laughs> continuing on. It's just that that breakup in the page has become kind of important. I mean, it, it sounds a little silly maybe, but again, I do say quite a bit that the Kickstarter is not your marketing, uh, but I also do say it's it is a portion of your marketing and it definitely is. I mean, once people hit there, you've got to sell them on it. And you kind of want it to be, wow, this is awesome. This is, this, let me tell other people about this. You want to do the majority of your drawing in outside of Kickstarter. But once people are there, you want them to help drive people to the Kickstarter. And part of that is the visual appeal.
1: Yeah. And now that we're working with this graphic designer who, you know, we're, I'll be honest, we're not paying him that much. He's my brother in law. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that he was really stressing. Was this idea of you know limiting the number of fonts you're using? You don't want to make it look like you know your font drop-down menu threw up on your Kickstarter.
0: <laughs> I uh, like that. <laughs> yeah,
1: that the the magic number. Uh, and I'm the advisor for my school's newspaper, so I've actually heard it here too. I just didn't put two and two together. You know, you want probably no more than three, definitely no more four different fonts on each. Um, you know, that if people are looking at that, you know, it's going to be like looking at that horrible ransom font where it's, you know, it looks like just a bunch of letters cut out. And so a font for your for your headers um, and then a font for, you know, the the regular Kickstarter font and then maybe another flavor font for something else. But, you know, for that, there's really no reason to go overboard about, you know, different fonts and different colors. That's another big one. You don't need a Skittles bag on your, on your Kickstarter either. You just need to have you know, a couple emphasis colors, uh, all that sort of stuff. Certainly people can expect to see a more visually coherent Kickstarter. This time
0: okay. Well, I see we're getting close to an hour here, Doug, that we've been yeah. talking, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have, uh, do you have anything else? Do you have, uh, any really strong, important ones that we need to make sure we get in?
1: Uh, geez, I'm sure I'm forgetting some and we'll hang up and I'll realize it. Uh,
0: well, that's the beauty of this. We're doing it monthly. So that's true. <laughs> we can do a part or uh, part three. Well, we will be doing a part three, but we can uh, definitely carry over topics if we need to. Yeah. I think, I think that's
1: everything for now, certainly. And if, you know, if anybody's listening and says like, Oh, they didn't talk about this, you know, please tell me and I'll, you know, tell me on Twitter. I'll write it down in my little notebook here. I will make sure part three we talk about. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's everything.
0: All right, so where are they telling you on Twitter?
1: They are telling me Meltdown Games at Twitter, all one word, or they can uh, email us info at MeltdownGames.com. And while they're at it, if they want to check out the website, they can do that. We'd love to hear some feedback on that. We're doing a uh, little bit of redesign there, too. And, yeah, either one of those two places would be a great way to reach us or on the Gothic Doctor Facebook page. Give that a like. So.
0: Okay, and I'll uh, include all those links in the show notes, of course, so you guys can check that out. And, of course, uh, offer any feedback. And like Doug said, if there's any suggestions, if there's something that you want to know uh, about maybe you haven't used Kickstarter yet and you're thinking about doing it and you're listening to uh, these road to relaunch, uh, episodes, or if, uh, you're looking at relaunching or there's something that you want to share as well, or, or, uh, have us cover, go ahead and offer that feedback. Uh, go ahead and give it to, like you said, give it to Doug. Doug will be our, our, uh, person of contact for this particular one, because we definitely are, are doing this from a Gothic doctor focus, but all of those things that you guys are either thinking about or had problems with, if you were on Kickstarter, Doug and John are definitely going through it as well and they're more than happy to share. That is one of the reasons we are doing this. It's more than just uh, looking at Gothic Doctor coming back. But one of the things that Doug and I had talked about early on, and you kind of heard when we were talking here, is the community aspect of things. And what Doug is really trying to do, uh, not only get everything out in the open about what's going on with Gothic Doctor and, of course, relaunching and, and and hoping all of you join us for that ride as well when it does relaunch, is Doug is really wanting to make sure that people coming up using Kickstarter later, you know, we talk about this all the time that there's a lot of information out there and nobody should go in blind anymore and that's what this is all about doug is trying to share some of the stumbling blocks that they went through the first time that they launched and wanting to make sure that you don't stumble on the same blocks. so if there's something you want to know let us know so with that i think doug thanks once again for joining me for a great conversation
1: Absolutely.
0: Thanks for having me. It's always a good time when we get together and have these conversations and, you know, uh, keep giving me crap on Twitter as well, sir.
1: I will not stop. Do
0: not worry about that. (laughs) All right, guys. In March, we will be back with part three. We'll have to talk about what we're going to discuss. It will, at the very least, probably be some updates with what's uh, been happening with Gothic Doctor. But we will probably, uh, between now and then, come up with a new topic that we will take a look at. Otherwise, we'll continue on with more actionable items that we may have missed this time around if we think of some. So we will talk to you in March, and of course, make sure you stay tuned and join us for the Road to Relaunch for Gothic Doctor. Thanks a lot.